Well, we have been studying in the book of Samuel, and we have watched as the nation Israel has come to the prophet Samuel, and they have said, and I pictured in a whining and crying voice, Lord, we want a king like everybody else. Or not Lord, but Samuel, we want a king like everyone else. All the other nations around us have a king, so we want a king too. And Samuel goes to the Lord, and the Lord says, if they want a king, give them a king. And he says, but before you give them a king, Samuel, I want you to warn them of what a king is going to be like. Warn them that a king is going to take their sons. A king is going to take their daughters. A king is going to take their land. A king is going to tax them. But we talked about this uh, in previous weeks, and what they really had is they had the king of kings as their king because that's what Israel means. It means governed by God, but that's not enough for them. What they really wanted was the image of a king. They wanted to set somebody up that they could, that they could look to that would protect them, that they could lead them into battle, and they could provide for them and protect their communities and protect their, their villages and their towns, and, and they decided that God wasn't enough of that. And they decided that we're going to go on our own way, and we're not going to do it the Lord's way. We're going to, we want our own king. We want to be like the Philistines. We want to be like the Amalekites and the Amorites and the Hittites and all the people surrounding them. We want to be like them, Lord. And the Lord said, if you want to be like them, go ahead, I'll give you a king. And we talked about the important implication there. Because sometimes we can ask the Lord for something, and he just might say, go ahead. Even though it's not his plan, even though it's not what's best for you, you can ask and say, Lord, this is what we want. And he'll say, all right, go ahead. I'll let you. Go ahead. I'll give you a king. You want a king? I'll give you a king. And we're going to watch over the next, well, probably several years as we study through the history of Israel and we see what happens and what happens to their nation after they bring this king in. So we saw last week that the Lord was doing a miraculous thing. Remember, we met Saul last week, and Saul was at his father's house, and his father said, Saul, we've lost the donkeys. Can you go see if you can find the donkeys for us? And Saul said, okay, we'll go see if we can find the donkeys. And he took his servant, and off he went looking for the donkeys. But God was doing something. You see, God was, used those lost donkeys to bring Saul and Samuel together. And God had told Samuel beforehand. He said, Samuel, tomorrow about this time, there's going to be a man that comes to you, and he's going to... Uh, he's, he's going to be the one that I've chosen to be king over Israel. So for three days, Saul, or yeah, for three days, Saul walks around looking for these donkeys. They finally get to the point where they're about done. They've had enough, and, the, and Saul's servant says, "Wait a minute! Over in this town nearby, right over here, there's a man of God. There's a prophet. Let's go ask him what he says." And Saul says, "Well, we don't have anything to give him. You can't go to church without giving an offering, right?" That wasn't the case, really. He said, "We we we had to give a gift. We want to give a gift to him." And the servant says, well, I have a quarter of a shekel of silver, which wasn't very much money. And Saul says, good job, let's go. So off they go to meet Samuel, and Samuel blows Saul's mind as he's coming into the gate. He asks, hey, where's, where's, the, where's the seer or where's the prophet? And Samuel says, it's me, come on up. He takes him up to the high place, and he has a feast. And he tells Saul something. He says, you're going to be the king over Israel. And Saul says, no, no, not me. I'm from the little tribe of Benjamin. I'm from a little family in Benjamin. No, no, you must have the wrong guy. And then he spends the night there with Saul. And as he's leaving in the next morning, as, Saul is, as Samuel is saying goodbye to Saul, he's told them this. They've enjoyed a dinner together, a feast together. Now it's the next morning, and they're getting ready to separate. And that's where our story picks up this evening. We're going to look at chapter 9, verse, uh, verse 27. As they were going, to the, going down to the outskirts of the city, Samuel said to Saul, tell the servant to go on ahead of us. And he went on. But you, stand here a while that I may announce to you the word of God. 
Now, just for a quick background, Saul's mind is blown right here. He, he, can you imagine if you, you, you set out on a journey to find some lost donkeys and it leads you to the throne of Israel? He's trying to wrap his mind around this. He's not even sure if this is true. If someone had told you this about yourself and you're just thinking, wait a minute, wait a minute, I'm just, I'm just, a, I'm just like everybody else. I, I don't understand. No, you're going to be the king of, king of Israel. He's still trying to put his mind around this. And now as he's leaving the next day, Samuel says, will you go ahead? Tell your servant to go on ahead and, and Saul, I want you to stay here with me. And I'm going to tell you, I want to announce to you the word of God. And then in chapter 10, we read Samuel took a flask of oil. He poured it on his head, kissed him and said, Is it not because the Lord has anointed you commander over his inheritance? Now what's taking place is as the servant goes on ahead, Samuel pours, literally pours a flask of oil. This is not like, you know, if, if you've been to a church where they anoint the sick, and, and it's not a little dab on your forehead. This is literally a pouring, a pouring of an entire flask of oil. They didn't go home and take a shower like we could. This was going to stick with him forever. And the, the word, or not forever, but until he, for, for quite some time. And, and the word anoint, what it literally means, it means to smear or to, or to rub with oil. It means to smear or to rub with oil. And he's literally pouring this oil on him. He's anointed him. Maybe you've heard, oh, so-and-so is anointed. Oh, so-and-so is anointed. Or maybe you've heard that this pastor or this preacher or this person is anointed. Well, it's kind of the same thing. It's, it's this anointing. It's, it's, there's a couple of things I want you to kind of get from this. I want you to see that this is, what, this is what Samuel is doing to Saul to let him know what the Lord's doing in his life. It's an outward sign of what's taking place spiritually. You see, God has already chosen Saul to be king over Israel. This is, this is Samuel showing Saul that this is, what, this is an anointing that's coming from you. But I want you to notice a couple things. Number one, it's, it's private. It's taken place in private. There's not a big dog and pony show. There's not a big, they haven't called the people together yet. They're not, they're not calling everyone around and go, let me show you my anointing. Let me show you how special I am. It's something that's taken place in private. And I think it would also be pretty memorable for Saul. This is something for him to remember. Because number one, his head's covered in oil, and he's going to leave here for the next couple of days' journey home with his head and his hair covered in oil. And he's going to remember that it's a time where he's meeting with Samuel the prophet, and Samuel has told him, you are going to be the king over Israel. And now I'm going to anoint you, but I also want you to understand this anointing, this physical thing, it's a bigger picture. It's really just showing us what's taking place in Saul's life spiritually. Because I want to draw your attention to something here. At the middle of verse 1, it says, it, where Samuel says, Is it not because the Lord has anointed you commander over his army? You see, Saul was anointed by the Lord before he was anointed by Samuel. Samuel is just reiterating what he sees in Saul. He's doing what the Lord has told him to. So Samuel didn't get to pick who the next king of Israel was. God picked who the next king of Israel was. Now, I already told you what my thoughts were. If I was God, after they said, well, we don't want you, we want a king, I'd have been done with them. I just said, that's it. You guys, you know, good luck. Sayonara. Let me know how it goes. When you're ready to repent, come back and get rid of your king, and I'll be your king. But that's not what God does to the people that he loves. You see, the Israel said, we want to be like everybody else. We want a king. And God says, I'll give you a king, but I'm not going to leave you. 
I'm going to bring you the guy that I want to bring. I'm still going to be working in your life. I'm still trying to get you to the place that I want you to be at. So I'm going to give you a king. So what we see taking place is this flask of oil. It's poured over his head, and then he kissed him. And he kissed him. So the oil shows it's, 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 oil is always a symbol of the Holy Spirit. It shows that it's symbolically of the Holy Spirit being poured out over Saul. We'll actually see that take place a little bit later in the scripture. But he kisses him. What's, what's the kissing stand for? What, is, what does that mean? The kiss represents Samuel's approval. So what, what Samuel is telling to Saul, he says, you've got God's approval. You're anointed by God. Because when he says to him, when he declares to him, it is, it, is it not because the Lord has anointed you commander over his inheritance? And now the kiss comes, meaning me being the man of God, Samuel being the man of God, says, I approve. You have my approval as well. So you have both of our approvals. But he reminds him of something very, very important. He said, and he doesn't say it this way, but I, he, it's almost like he says, don't forget who the people belong to. The people that you're going to be ruling over, the people that you're going to be reigning over, look very carefully there at verse 1. Is it not because the Lord has anointed you commander over his inheritance? It's the Lord's inheritance. These are the Lord's people. These are not Saul's people. He's going to be the one put in charge. But this, this, this nation, this country, Israel, it still belongs to God. And, don't, and, and it's almost like Samuel saying, well, don't forget that. Now, if you thought Saul's mind was blown when Samuel told him he was going to be king. Now what do you think he's thinking? He doesn't feel any different. He doesn't have any... It's just him and... It's just Saul and Samuel out in the, in the middle of nowhere, basically. They're getting ready to leave. They're by themselves. This is taking place privately. I think Saul's really scratching his head, trying to wrap his mind around what's really going on here. What is it? Who? who I just want to know the donkeys are okay. And you're telling me I'm going to be king of Israel. And now you've poured oil. Now I've got to go all the way home with this messy hair because I'm sure it wasn't short like mine. It was probably longer. I've got to go drag all this messy hair home before I can get cleaned up a little bit. Here's what I find amazing. What Saul needs, God provides. I think Saul needed some confirmation. I think Saul needed to say, Lord, how do I know this is really from you? How do I know this is really, really taking place from you? You know, I find it interesting that God's going to give Saul the confirmation that he needs. But I find it interesting, it kind of works the same way with us. You know, it's been in my life where I've been in church, or I've been in prayer, or I've been seeking the Lord on something, and the Lord puts something on your heart that he wants you to do. You know, whether it be big or small, it doesn't really matter, but there's always that part of you that scratches your head and says, is that really God telling me to do that? Is that, 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 that still small voice, is, is, is this just my own mind? Is this just my own ideas? Where, where is that coming from? Is, this really, is, is the Lord really kind of leading me? And I always say this, ask for confirmation. Pray for confirmation. The Lord will give you the confirmation. That's how you'll know it's from him. It's, it's like, it goes like this. Let me just give you an example. Let's say that well, a couple weeks from now, you're in a Sunday service and you're praying to the Lord and the pastor's talking about your life and what are you using it for. And you start to think about, you know, I really, I really, maybe I'll go to Africa and be a missionary. And you go, well, I think the Lord's sending me to Africa to be a missionary, you know. And, and you go, ah, that's, that's kind of, that's crazy. I, that's out there. I don't know if I could do that or not. That just seems really far out there. Well, then you go home that afternoon and you sit down, you turn on the History Channel. It's all about a, a program about living in Africa. You know, you're going, oh. All right, well, that's still not enough, Lord. I, I need more than that. 
Then your friend calls you up and says, hey, I got a ticket to Africa I'm not going to use. Do you need it? <laughs> and, you go, and you go, all right, Lord, I got it. You know, There's nothing wrong with us asking for confirmation because I think the Lord will meet us there and, and lead us and in, in, he'll, he'll provide that confirmation that we need. And I think in Saul's heart, that's what's going on. This is a bit, like I said, he left the house three days ago, well, four days ago by now, looking for donkeys. He's coming back anointed as a king over all of Israel. It's a big step, and he's trying to wrap his mind around it. So Samuel wants to give him a little bit of confirmation from the Lord. And this is what he says in verse 2. When you have departed from me today, you will find two men by Rachel's tomb in the territory of Benjamin at Zelzah. And they will say to you, the donkeys which you went to look for have been found. And now your father has ceased caring about the donkeys and is worrying about you saying, what shall I do about my son? This is the first of three confirmations Saul gets. He says, listen, when you get to this place, there's going to be, there's going to be a couple of men, not one, but two. There's going to be two men. And they're going to tell you the donkeys have been found and your dad's worried about you. Now you can imagine Saul wondering, is this really from the Lord? But can you imagine when he gets, when he gets to the place that he's headed, when he gets to the territory of Benjamin at Zelzah, and he finds these two men and they tell him exactly what Samuel had said? Because that's what's going to take place. But that's not all the confirmation he's going to get. Because even that would leave you scratching your head. Well, I watched the History Channel about the move to Africa. And then I got the plane ticket. I need more, Lord. And he's going to get more. Look what comes next. The second confirmation, verse 3. Then you shall go on forward from there and come to the terebinth tree of Tabor. There three men going up to God at Bethel will meet you. One carrying three young goats, another carrying three loaves of bread, another carrying a skin of wine. They will greet you and give you two loaves of bread, which you shall receive from their hand. That's the second confirmation. Listen, Saul, when you, you're, after the first one happens, you're going to go up from there, and you're going to go to the terebinth tree at Tabor. That's like, you know, from the middle of the big oak tree in town, you go a mile. Just go to the terebinth tree at Tabor. Just head on over there, and there's going to be some people that meet you. And they're going, now, look how specific God is. God's so specific, he says, listen, there's going to be three men going up to God at Bethel. They're going to be going up to worship the Lord there. They're going to be carrying three young goats, three loaves of bread, and a skin of wine. They're going to greet you, and they're going to give you two loaves of bread, which you should receive from their hands. This is pretty specific. This is not like, you know, I mean, sometimes, you know, you could say, all right, I got a word from the Lord. Uh, let's see, I'm getting a word from the Lord right now. Uh, somebody in here tonight's tired. So, we're all tired probably, right? I mean, that, that's vague. That's not that the Lord couldn't, you know, that, that could be real. I could, the Lord could put that on my heart. He's not. I mean, I, I think it'd be pretty obvious that it's Thursday night, tomorrow's Friday, the week's almost over, somebody in here tonight's tired. That's not, a, that's not, you wouldn't do that to say, all right, I'm going to move to Africa because he knew somebody in here was tired. No, that, that's pretty general, you know. But here, the word that, that Saul needs, it's specific. It's very specific. I'm going to tell you where to go. I'm going to tell you how many people are going to meet you. I'm going to tell you what they're carrying. I'm going to tell you what they're going to offer you. I'm going to tell you that you're going to receive it. I'm going to tell you what they're doing because they're going up to worship God. That's really specific. How specific would it have to be for you to get the confirmation that you need? That's how specific it will be. You see, if God's calling you to do something, 
And you say, Lord, I need confirmation on this. It's out of my comfort zone. I'm not sure if this, I'm able to do this. Would you give me some confirmation? Open your eyes and look around because you'll get the confirmation that you need. And it'll be as specific as it needs to be because he, he wants you to follow through what he has, you, has for us to do. Saul is not done yet. There's more confirmation headed his way. Look at verse 5. After that, you shall come to the hill of God where the Philistine garrison is. And it will happen when you have come there to the city that you'll meet a group of prophets coming down from the high place with stringed instruments, a tambourine, a flute, and a harp before them. And they will be prophesying. Then the Spirit of the Lord will come upon you and you will prophesy with them and be turned into another man. Listen, he says, there's one more, one more confirmation the Lord's going to give you, Saul. There's one more thing I want you to do. You're going to go to the hill of God where you're going to meet some prophets. And they're going to be prophesying. They're going to have some instruments, a tambourine, a flute, a harp. They're, they're going to be playing those. They'll be prophesying. And then, and then, Saul, the Spirit of the Lord is going to come upon you. Why would he need the Spirit of the Lord upon him? Why would he need that? Listen, don't, don't, don't make the Spirit of the Lord coming upon somebody, some crazy, something that makes somebody act crazy, somebody that makes somebody do something they're not, they don't want to do. You know, some, don't make this, when, when the Spirit of the Lord comes upon somebody, it's for a specific reason in, in the Old Testament. It's to accomplish the will of God for their life. It's so that, it's so that Saul can become king. That's, he can't do it on his own. He can't become king on his own. He needs the spirit of the Lord and he needs some things changed in him to fulfill God's will for his life because the man that he is now won't accomplish God's will. So Samuel says, listen, Saul, you're going to go find these guys. They're going to be prophesying. They're going to have some instruments and the spirit of the Lord's going to come upon you and then you're going to be a changed man. This is what Samuel is laying out ahead of him. Listen, as Christians, do we want the spirit of the Lord upon us? Absolutely. As a matter of fact, 1 John chapter 2, verse 20 says that you have the Spirit of the Lord upon you as a Christian. That you have it. Which means you have the ability to accomplish what God has laid out for you. But you have to be willing to do it. Saul could not accomplish what God had called him to do apart or without the Spirit of the Lord being upon him. Upon him. Now, we could pretty much sum up by this section that Saul wasn't an overly spiritual man. And we'll see that as we go along. It wasn't like he was a super spiritual guy. God's using an ordinary person to do extraordinary things. Remember, we're told he's a good-looking guy. We're told he's a tall guy, head and shoulders above everybody else. But he's not necessarily qualified to be a king. He has no qualifications to be a king, but God's going to qualify him because God's the one that's going to call him. This is the most important thing. Whenever you do something for the Lord, you don't look and say, am I qualified? Am I able? Here's what you look and say, Lord, I need your spirit upon me to do that. I can't do it without you. If you can do it in your own strength, in your own abilities, you don't need the spirit of the Lord. It's not until you step out and, don't, and have no idea what you're doing and you are way out of your comfort zone and you are really serving the Lord and doing some things that I just don't know what I'm going to do or how this is all going to come together. But I know the Lord's directing me. I know the Lord's calling me to take these steps. And I need the Spirit of the Lord upon me to be able to do those things. Unfortunately, sometimes in Christianity, the Spirit of the Lord coming upon somebody has made, it's made things, Christianity become a show. 
It's made somebody become all about me. It's made somebody want to draw attention to themselves. Or, you know, and, and the way the Holy Spirit works in everybody's life can be different. But it, 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 this is nothing that we should ever fear. It's nothing that, you know, the, the fruit of this, one of the fruits of the Spirit is self-control. It will never lead you out of control. This is not something that anything, as Christians, we should be desiring this daily. Lord, I need your Holy Spirit with me today. I can't do what you've called me to do without your Holy, apart from you. And that's really what he's saying. In the Old Testament, we see the Holy Spirit coming upon certain people for certain things, for, for certain things to do for the Lord. In the New Testament, we see the Holy Spirit available to all believers. All believers, all you have to do is ask. John would say, just ask. Jesus, ask for the Holy Spirit, and you can have the Holy Spirit. You can't accomplish his will without the Holy Spirit. Now, Saul hasn't gone anywhere yet. He's still standing next to Samuel. So none of this stuff has really played true. So look what Samuel says in verse 7. Oh, one thing before we go there. The Spirit of the Lord will come upon you and will prophesy, and you'll prophesy with them. The word prophesy there means to speak forth the word of God. That's what the word prophecy means. It means to speak forth God's word. It could be a prophetic word for the future, but in today's world, it's speaking forth the word of God. It's just simply, whenever you're speaking forth the word of God, you could say, I'm prophesying. We don't need to give titles like I'm a prophet or this person's a prophet. It's just, it's speaking forth God's word into somebody's life. That's what it means. So Saul begins to prophesy, to speak forth the word of God. He's turned into another man. And look at verse 7. And let it be when these signs come to you that you do as the occasion demands for God is with you. You shall go down before me to Gilgal and surely I will come down to you to offer the burnt offerings and to make sacrifices of peace offerings. Seven days you shall wait till I come to you and show you what you should do. This is an important part. Samuel says to Saul, Saul, we're going to confirm this. You're going to have three encounters that are going to confirm that what I'm telling you is true. But then he gives them something to do. Here's the next step. Because what do you think Saul's thinking? If I was Saul, I'd be like, all right, I've got to be king of Israel. What do I got to do? I've got to get some men together. I've got to get an army together. I got, how am I going to organize this? Where am I going to put my castle? How am I going to build this? A little logistical nightmare trying to figure all this out. But that's not how God works. God says, listen, through Samuel, he says, I want you to do something. Saul, what I want you to do, and it's in verse 8, go down to Gilgal. Go down to Gilgal. I'm going to come to you, and we're going to do some burnt offerings and sacrifices, but I want you to wait. I want you to wait. Saul, I want you to go down to Gilgal and wait. So here's what we see taking place. We see Saul anointed. We see that we're going to see the confirmation take place. And then we see the direction or the next step in Saul's life. Saul doesn't have to figure out how to go. He doesn't have to go to king school and learn how to be a king. He doesn't know what to do. This is not, he's not prepared for this. He's not trained for this. But this is how the Lord works. Just go down here. Take this next step and wait. Saul's got a choice to make. He could go or he couldn't go. He has a choice to make. God says, this is what I want you to do. This is what I have for you. This is the way I'll confirm it to you. Now you have a choice. Either go, and he tells him something real simple. The first step's easy. Just go. But Saul could be thinking, my dad's worried about me. I got to get home. I got this oil in my hair. I got I to go wash my hair. I got what, you know, I, I need to get, but no. Samuel says, go to Gilgal and wait seven days. Is that simple? Could it get any easier for the first step from the Lord? I want you to go to this town and just sit there and wait for seven days. 
That seems so simple, but how hard is it to wait? Do you like to wait? We don't like to wait. We live in a culture where everything's fast food, fast this. We, Amazon Prime, two-day shipping. We don't like to wait for anything. We'll pay more to get it shipped overnight because we don't want to wait for it. So just go wait for seven days. It's Saul's opportunity to show he's going to be obedient to what the Lord's called him to do. You see, at the end of this chapter, Saul's got a decision to make. Am I going to follow God and do it God's way, or am I going to do it my way? God says, just go wait. Go down there and wait for seven days. Could you do that? If God said, this is, God gave you some really big thing. I want you to go to Africa. We'll go back to that example. But first, I want you to go over to Pittsburgh and wait for seven days. Just go up there and wait. Just go up there and sit for seven days. Just go hang out for seven days. What, what do you want me to do, Lord? It doesn't matter. Go to, go to Kennywood or go to the museum or the, whatever you want to do. Just go. Go sit and wait. Could you do it? Could you wait for seven days? That's not even a long time. That'd be tough, wouldn't it? i, I got to have a plan. i got to schedule my day. God says, just go wait for seven days. Now, I'm going to come down to you with burnt offerings. and We'll make sacrifices. Seven days you shall wait till I come. And show you what you should do. And look at verse 9. So it was when he had turned his back to go from Samuel that God gave him another heart. And all those signs came to pass that day. Notice the obedience that Saul demonstrates at this time in his life. It says very clearly when he turned his back to go from Samuel... I believe he had purposed in his heart to do exactly what Samuel had said. His new heart, God gave him a new heart. He became another man as he walked in obedience to the Lord. Don't miss that. Lord, if you'll change me, then I'll be obedient. doesn't work that way. Walking in obedience will change your heart and make you a new man or a new woman. But you have to walk in obedience first. Otherwise... You're sitting on the couch going, Lord, if you change me, then I'll go to Africa. And I'm not trying to get anybody to go to Africa, by the way. If, you have, if, you're, if God's touching your heart to go to Africa, I really didn't plan this. Um, you, you have to take the step of obedience to receive the change. Too often in somebody's life, we find ourselves going, Lord, if you'll change this about me, if you'll do this for me, then I'll do that for you. He says it doesn't work that way. Even in the life of Saul. You walk in obedience, and then you will find your life changed. I've met several Christians, several people, well, my life's not changing. You're not being obedient. You're not doing what God called you to do. Yes, I am. No, you're not. You're not you, 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 you can't help but to change as you walk in obedience to the Lord. Because by the mere fact that you're walking in obedience, you put him first. Prior to that, when you're walking in disobedience, who's first? I am, or you are. But when we put the Lord first, that has to change our, it, not only will it change my life physically, it changes my whole perspective on how I view life. As Saul turns and walks in obedience, he becomes a new man. The obedience is what brings about the change, and it hasn't changed today. We are called as Christians to walk in obedience to what? To God's word. This, is, this book is what we're to walk in obedience. Don't walk in obedience to what I say, because I could go cuckoo over the, over the cuckoo nest and to say all kinds of weird things. Don't walk in obedience to me. Walk in obedience to what the Bible says, to what the Word of God says. Don't take any pastor's word for it. Don't take my word for it. Search the Scriptures and make sure it's true. 
Make sure you understand it. So Saul does this. He turns his back. He walks in obedience. He gets a new heart. And then he gets all the confirmation that he needs. As he walks in obedience, his heart's changed. And then we read, all those signs came to pass that day. Came to pass that day. When they came there to the hill, there was a group of prophets to meet him. The Spirit of God came upon him, and he prophesied among them. And it happened when all who knew him formally saw that he indeed prophesied among the prophets, that the people said to one another, What is this that has come upon the son of Kish? Is Saul also among the prophets? Then a man from there answered and said, But who is their father? Therefore it became a proverb. Is Saul also among the prophets? And when he had finished prophesying, he went to the high place. They're shocked to see Saul prophesying. They're shocked to see Saul speaking forth the word of the Lord. That's the difference of a changed man or a changed woman. It should shock your non-believing friends when you get saved to all of a sudden think, who is this? What happened to you? You're changed. You're different. There's something. Wait a minute. You know, let's, let's do that. No, no, I don't do those. What do you mean you don't do those things anymore? What, what happened to you? And they made, a, it made a, they made a joke of it. It became a saying. It became a proverb, they say. Is Saul, also, there, is Saul also among the prophets? They're blown away by what's going on. Even his family's confused. Look what his uncle says. Verse 14. Then Saul's uncle said to him and his servants, Where did you go? So he said, to look for the donkeys. <laughs> when we saw that they were nowhere to be found, we went to Samuel. And Saul's uncle said, tell me, please, what did Samuel say to you? So Saul said to his uncle, he told us plainly the donkeys had been found, but about the matter of the kingdom, he did not tell him what Samuel had said. Saul didn't let the secret out. He said, he goes back home. You got to believe the uncle. What happened to your hair? How come you got all that oil in your hair? You look, what's going on? And I heard this prophesying thing. What happened? Well, I was out looking for the donkeys. Well, what happened? I went, I, I saw Samuel. Well, what'd Samuel tell you? Well, he told me the donkeys were okay, but he didn't tell him anything else. Why not? What Saul, why didn't you tell him? Maybe it's possible that Saul's waiting, he's being wise here and waiting for the Lord to reveal him as the king of Israel. Maybe that's the case. Maybe Saul's wise enough to go, you know what? I'm not doing, this is the Lord's deal. It is so far out of my comfort zone. If he's going to do this, he's going to have to figure out how I'm going to get to a throne because I'm not walking up there on my own. I'm going to let the Lord handle this. That could be the case. Maybe that's the case where he doesn't, he doesn't want to do, tell anybody. Now look what happens. Then Samuel called the people together to the Lord at Mizpah and said to the children of Israel, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, I brought up Israel out of Egypt and delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians and from the hand of all kingdoms and from those who oppressed you. But you have today rejected your God who himself saved you from all your adversaries and your tribulations and you have said to him, no, set a king over us. Now, therefore, present yourselves before the Lord by your tribes and by your clans. I think Samuel's a little sarcastic. I think he's a little annoyed. I think he's really upset. He's telling them again, 
He's reminding them, you are rejecting God's will. You are rejecting God's will. We all need a Samuel in our life. We all need a Samuel to tell us once in all, hey, you're going against the Lord's will. You're going against what God wants. God's word, you're, you're living a life that's not pleasing to God. You're, you're going against what God wants. This is not what God has for you. Remember what God's done for you. He brought you up out of the land of Egypt. He protected you from your adversaries. He did all these things for you. And now you, you're saying, I want a king. And once again, he reminds them, it's not what God has for you. But they don't heed the warning. So he says, get all your people together. Get all your people together. We're going we're gonna to do this. We're going to see what God has for you. And so he tells them, present yourselves before the Lord by your tribes and by your clans. And in verse 20, when Samuel had caused all the tribes of Israel to come near, the tribe of Benjamin was chosen. When he had caused the tribe of Benjamin to come near by their families, the family of Matri was chosen, and Saul, the son of Kish, was chosen. But when they sought him, they could not be found, that he couldn't be found. Therefore they inquired of the Lord further, has the man come here yet? And the Lord answers, there he is, hidden among the equipment. Now let me get your attention. Samuel doesn't just march Saul up in front of everybody and say, all right, here's your next king. Because their response would have been, well, why him? Why him? What's up with him? Instead, he gets everybody together and they inquire of the Lord. He wants them to know this is coming from the Lord. He wants them to know the Lord is the one establishing the king over them. And so they go to the Lord and we're not told how they go to the Lord here. We're not told how the Lord confirmed this or how the Lord told them this. Some people believe that, that, well, it was a fact, the priest wore on his, on his breastplate an arm, a, a pouch which would contain an ermum and an thumum. And most people believe it's a, it's a, it's a white uh, stone and a black stone. And they would inquire the Lord and the priest would reach in, and if it was a white stone, it was yes. If it was a black stone, it was no. That's one possible way they could have inquired of the Lord this day. We're not told how that. We're not exactly told here in the scripture how they actually did. But what we are told is what the Lord said. What we are given is this is how the Lord answered them. And what they do is when they come before the Lord, they come together and he says, all right, all the tribes are here. Which tribe? It's going to be the tribe of Benjamin. All right, of the tribe of Benjamin, uh, which family? It's going to be the family of Matri. And then Saul, the son of Kish, was chosen. All right, we've got our king. It's coming from the, from the tribe of Benjamin, from the family of Matri. Where's Saul? <laughs> they can't find him. He's, 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 he's taller than everybody else. He's hard to lose, okay? So we're told here in the scripture that they have to ask. They sought him. He couldn't be found. Therefore, they have to go back to the Lord and say, has the man come here yet? Maybe he's running late. Maybe they can't find him. Has he come here yet? And the Lord answers and says, there he is hidden among the equipment. There he is hidden among the equipment. Saul did not have the ability or did not want to be king for the recognition. That's pretty clear. Saul at this point was way out of his comfort zone stepping up to the throne of Israel. As a matter of fact, he knew that it was going to be him because he'd already been anointed by God. He'd already been anointed by Samuel. And now he's here at the presentation of their king and he's off hiding. That goes to show us his heart. I don't want the, I don't want to be the, I don't, I don't really, I don't know that I want what God, I'm not sure about this. I, I, I don't know how to be king. Matter of fact, I'm just going to, maybe they'll pick somebody else. And he's hiding among the stuff. I wonder how many Christians miss what God has because they're hiding among the stuff. Because they won't get away from the stuff. They won't get away from the equipment. They won't take the step forward 
to go receive what the Lord has given them or what the Lord has called them to do. You see, there he is hiding among the equipment. He's hiding among the stuff and he's avoiding taking his crown. He's avoiding taking the next step in what God's called him to do. Why? Why would he do that? He's scared to death. I personally think that he's really worried about this. I'm just trying to figure out how, how am I going to, I'm not qualified to do this. The Lord tells the people where he is. And look at verse 23. So they ran, they brought him from there, and when he stood among the people, he was taller than any of the people from his shoulders upward. And Samuel said to the people, do you see him whom the Lord has chosen, that there is no one like him among all the people? So all the people shouted and said, Long live the king. They go get him from the equipment. They bring him up. They put him in front of the people. Remember I said they wanted the image of a king. And they got it. They got a tall person. A tall man. They got a handsome man. There's no one like him. This is the guy that's going to lead us. This is the guy that's going to protect us. This is the guy that's going to... You think Saul's going to have the heart of the Lord? You think Saul cares for the people like, like the Lord would care for the people? Saul's going to have a heart for himself. Saul's going to have a heart for the kingdom, not, not for the people individually. This is the one. And look what they say. Long live the king. Knowing full well, Samuel warned him, it's not what God has for you. It's okay. We want to be like everybody else. Finally, we've got a king like the Philistines. Finally, we've got a king. Finally, we've got like everybody else. We want to be like everybody else. Finally, we've got a king that we can see and that we can worship. Finally, it's there. I think Samuel, when he says, do you see him whom the Lord has chosen, that there is no one like him among all the people? I think Samuel is a little sarcastic at this point. You see, Samuel knows that they're stepping away from the Lord. And I think Samuel might even know that this is the wrong direction to go. Clearly he knows that. And I think he's a little sarcastic there. And verse 25 tells us, Then Samuel explained to the people the behavior of royalty. It's out of the book of Deuteronomy. And he wrote in a book and he laid it up before the Lord. The behavior of royalty. What, is, what was that? What's the behavior of royalty? If you were to think about that for a minute, what, what is somebody that's royalty, what, what's their behavior? Selfishness. It's, it's I'm above you. Do you, do you, do you, does the president wait for you or do you wait for him? Does your boss, it, depending how, how high somebody is in an in economic status, depending on how high they are, if you're, if you're a CEO of a large company, do you wait for the employees or do they wait for you? It's, it's, it's the, 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 what he, when he says this, what, he, what he's talking about, the behavior of royalty, royalty, he's talking about selfishness. Royalty wants to be served. Serve me. Go get this for me. Do this for me. Do that for me. That's what we want in our king. We want a king that's going to behave like royalty. We want a king that's going to be head and shoulders above the rest. This is what we want. The New Testament tells us that Jesus didn't come to be served. That he came to serve. Do you see the difference? The behavior of a king is one of for the king. It's for, how many people have worked for a company where the CEO, do you think he's concerned with you or do you think he's concerned with the business? the business at very best it's the business he's probably concerned with himself more than anything that's what the earthly king saul is going to be that's what any earthly king 
is going to be. At the very best, he can be concerned with the organization that he oversees. At his very best. But God, but Jesus says, I'm concerned with you personally. You don't need to set up an image of something to worship. Worship me. Worship me. Samuel warns him again. He explains to them the behavior of royalty. Jesus didn't come to serve, but to serve. He did not have the behavior of royalty. Jesus did not walk around like a king, although he was the greatest king ever, still is. He's called what? The king of kings, the lord of lords, and he showed us how to walk on this earth. At what point did he allow himself to be worshipped? He, he, didn't, he, did, he came to serve. I came to serve you, not to be served. He who wants to be first must be last. At the very last supper, he washed his apostles' feet, doing the job of the lowliest servant to teach them how they should live. And Israel is going completely away from it. They're going completely away from it. Samuel sent all the people away, every man to his house, and Saul also went home to Gibeah, and valiant men went with him, whose hearts God had touched. But some rebels said, how can this man save us? So they despised him, and they brought him no presents, but he held his peace. But he held his peace. Saul has a lot going for him. He's got the Lord with him. He's got the man of God with him. He's a good-looking man. He's taller than everybody else. He's got valiant men with him. At this point, he starts out following the Lord. He's doing what he's supposed to be doing. The question is, in the coming chapters, will he follow God and do it God's way? Or will he decide to go off and do it his own way? You see, that's the same question for our life. When God calls me to do something or God calls you to do something, will you do it God's way? You see, God's way doesn't always make sense to everybody else. God's way is not always logical. God's way doesn't always fit into a, it's not always a square box or square peg fitting into a square hole. It might be something that's a little different. It might be something that he just, you know, he wants to do something different. You, you know, even when it comes to things like church planning, you can't plan a church the same way all the time. You have to do things God's way. God, how do you want me to live my life? You take the step of obedience and you get the changed heart. And you get the changed heart and you have the Holy Spirit come upon you. It gives you the ability to walk in the life and the ways that he's called you to walk. You can't do it on your own. It's impossible. He doesn't want you to be able to do it on your own. If, in fact, you're living your life on your own, in your own strength, you're, just, you're not even using the Holy Spirit. You're just doing it by yourself. Step out. Go big. Find out what God wants you to do. I encourage every one of you to seek the Lord. Not everybody is going to do some amazing ministry, but step outside. If, you're, if, you are, if whatever you're doing for the Lord is in your own strength, you're just doing it yourself. It is so cool when you step out of your comfort zone and you say, Lord, I'm going to let you do something with me. And I don't have any idea what it's going to look like. I can tell you firsthand because I did it to start a church. I did it to start a radio station. I did it as I follow the Lord. It's amazing what he does. It's amazing how he brings people together, how he provides the resources. He provides all the stuff you need. But you've got to take the step of obedience. And you're not going to know what it's going to look like because what you think it'll look like is not what it looks like. How you think he's going to do it is not the way that he's going to do it. But I want you guys to be people that say, you know what? Lord, what do you want me to do? 
And when you get that word, you get that moving in your heart where I really feel like I want to do, Lord, I'm thinking about this. You're putting it on my heart. Ask him for confirmation. Lord, will you confirm this to me? Will you show me this is you? Will you, will you give me that airline ticket or that TV show or that, you, you know, he, if I were to tell you how many different confirmations I had to move to Cumberland and start a church, I, it was constantly. Every time I turn around, I'll tell you the, one of the greatest ones that I had. I, I felt the Lord was calling me to move to Cumberland I, 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 to start to plant a church. That was a problem because I wasn't a pastor. I was a police officer. And how do you cross over? How do you make that adjustment? And, uh, I had no idea how to do this. I had no, I've, I'd never planted a church before. I'd never done this before. And I'm, I'm driving down the road, and uh, I was in a city called Delray Beach. It was, I was on my way home from work. I'm driving down the road, and I'm literally praying, Lord, you know, this Cumberland thing, I'm not sure what I want you to do. Uh, you know, should I, should I really do this? I, I need something more. How, you know, can, can you give me some kind of, like, crazy sign, Lord? I, the next street sign I saw said Cumberland Way dead serious. I'd been a police officer in that city for a number of years and never knew that street existed out west of the city limits. That's, and it was, like, it was like he hit me over the head. Now, that's not the only one that I got. It, that didn't do it for me. That, you know, I'm like, well, Lord, I'm not going on a street sign. You know, you got to give me more than that. <laughs> but he did. He continued to confirm the calling so, to make the, so, so that I would know I was sure that I was supposed to do that. It took more than a street sign. It took more than a feeling. It took more to, you know, when you pack up, you quit your job, pack up your family, move 1,100 miles and, and do something you've never done before, that takes a lot more than just a, a feeling inside or a, a small voice inside. It, it takes a lot of confirmation. But he was faithful to give me all that confirmation. And I'll do the same thing with you. But you have to take the steps. The first step I had to take was to begin to prepare to be a pastor. If I hadn't prepared, I never would have got here. If I hadn't started to study, if I hadn't started to take the classes, if I hadn't started to, to get myself ready to be a pastor, I never would have got the next step. I, I would have still been waiting down there going, all right, that was a cool street sign. But once I got the calling, and once I, once I got the direction, hey, this is where I want you to go, then the, the preparation took place, then it was on me. I have to begin taking the next step. Prepare. You've got to learn some things. You, gotta, you can't just, you've you got to know what you're talking about. You've got to figure out what you believe you got to figure out where do you stand doctrinally on this position and that position and all the studying that took place. And it's the same thing with you. God, what do you want me to do? And when he puts it on your heart, don't think I could never do that because Saul didn't think he could be king. Saul didn't think he could be king. Who did he pick for disciples? Fishermen, tax collectors, ordinary people. Did he go to the Pharisees and the Sadducees? Did he go to the religious people to make them disciples? He went to the ordinary people. He said, listen, with my Holy Spirit, with the Holy Spirit, you can do extraordinary things. Let the Spirit come upon you and just imagine what you can accomplish. You see, we never want to be working in our own ability. We want to be in God's ability. And it is really, really cool. It's quite a testimony when you do that because you don't get the glory for it. You don't get the glory. I can't take any credit for this church or this radio station. I don't know how to do any of it. I'm still learning. I'm still scratching my head trying to figure out how to do it. When, someday it'll work. Someday it'll, it'll happen. Someday it'll, God, God's the one that does it all. That's why there's no, there's no credit for me whatsoever. It all goes to him. Samuel, or Saul, leaves. He's got some valiant men with him, and there's some men that despise him. There'll always be people that say you don't like you. There'll always be that group of people that says you can't do it. There'll always be that group of people who doesn't like what God's doing in your life, and Saul has it here too. But Saul's still wise. He held his peace. He didn't let it bother him. When I told people 
that I was going to Cumberland to start a church, I had a lot of people tell me that I couldn't do it. What? Told me I was crazy. Some, my own family told me I was crazy. Now they're here. <laughs> Rebecca's family said we were crazy, you know. But it wasn't me, it was God. If you hadn't taken the step of obedience, you guys wouldn't be sitting here. And he'll do the same thing in your life if you'll let him. And there'll always be somebody out there that says you can't do it that way. And it won't work. It's not logical. It doesn't make any sense. It doesn't work. It, it, but please, I wouldn't go back to the life that I left for anything. And I had a pretty good job. I, I was doing well. I had, a, I had a great job. Living in sunny South Florida. Now, January, I think about going back sometimes. But people ask me, do you miss it? I don't miss it at all. I really don't. Because then I wouldn't get to be here. I'd be back there. I was doing what I knew how to do. I was doing what I had trained to do. But here I'm doing what God wants me to do. And he used all that as preparation to get me here. All of that, all of the stuff I went through before I got here was all preparation to use me today for what I'm doing. And he'll do the same thing with your life. Just like Saul. He'll confirm it. But then the part that lies on you is will you go? Will you turn in your heart and purpose in your heart and say, Lord, I will do that. Because until you do that, you're not going to get the next step. Once you get the next step, you have to be obedient to it. And we'll see in the coming weeks, is Saul going to remain faithful to the Lord? Or is he going to go off in his own ways? You can read ahead and find out. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that we can gather and study and learn, Lord. And Father, as you took Saul... And you made him king. He didn't make himself king, Lord. You arranged it. You made the donkeys get lost. You led him down the path. You set it all up, Lord. Would you do that in our life? Lord, would you make our calling, the things, the purpose that you made us for? Father, I believe that we were all designed for a specific purpose. Our life has a specific meaning in a way that you want to use us for your kingdom. Lord, would you let us know what that is? May we seek that out, Lord. Father, would you give us a heart to know that? Would we ask that question repeatedly to you, Lord? What is, would we ask that repeatedly to you, Lord? What is it that you want me to do? Why have you created me? And may we follow hard after God with all of our heart. May we not hide among the things of the world, hide among the machinery. May we step up and answer that call. In Jesus' name, amen.